Welcome to Afterlives of Ancient Egypt, in which we discuss ancient history and relevant current events. I'm Kara Cooney, and I love to take deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. So, let's get started. Hello. Hello. Today, it's just Amber and I. We've commandeered the garage. We've commandeered the garage. Kara's away. We have a little additional episode for our book club series tangentially related to the Amelia Peabody stuff because it's the same author, but in her a different name, Barbara Michaels. So we have the Michaels part of the MPM, Yes, Lance Peters Michaels. And these are usually standalone books. Yes. So the other... Nom de plume, yeah. It are her more series-related books, Vicky Bliss and stuff. But. Yeah, I think it's kind of ambiguous exactly why her publisher wanted her to have two different... I know. Pseudonyms. I think... It was that in a way that Elizabeth Peters books were so very different than, mm -hmm. you know, her, her Barbara Michaels books, which tend to be more supernatural, maybe highlight the romance a little bit more. I don't know. I think it's a publisher's call. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about today, Search the Shadows. Yes, because you went to the University yes. of Chicago. And so all this will come back together, and it's Egyptological, archaeologically. Exactly. I grew up in Illinois, there. and so the Oriental... Oriental Institute was a, a thing, you know, that I knew about whenever I became familiar with Egyptology. There's also a Pennsylvania link yes, in the book. I know. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> well, we'll talk about, too, like how autobiographical it kind of feels. So the book was originally published in 87. Um, and I will read you a Goodreads synopsis. I will say we will preface things when we're about to talk maybe about like a spoiler of the whodunit type of thing. We'll yeah, I would still recommend you read the book yeah. first. Yeah, but... Um, the Goodread synopsis says, Who was her father? When 22-year-old Haskell Malone accidentally discovers damning proof that the dead war hero, hero whose name she bears is not her father, she is shattered. The revelation only confirms the dark fear that has haunted her since childhood. In fact, what little she knows about her birth and her mother's subsequent death is a fragile web of evasions and lies. Determined to expose the truth at any cost, Haskell takes a job at Chicago's famed, formerly known now, as the Oriental Institute, in the city where her mother once lived and loved. Dun, dun, dun. But as she searches the shadows of the past, she finds that the truth can sometimes be deadly. Indeed. So what are your uh, initial thoughts? You did a reread. so you. <laughs> I did a reread. I read this back when I was a senior in high school. So I was like 18 the first time I read it. And you can imagine, you know, reading it then, I ha had a completely different experience yeah. of the book than uh, reading it now. But my first impression now is, is that this plot completely gets blown out of the water if it takes place in 2023 yeah. because of all of the DNA, like yes. genealogy yeah. stuff. Like, Which was interesting for her to include that, with the book being published in 87. That it's was like true. the forefront of like, so to give background, the book begins with Haskell doing a DNA test with her fiance at the time. Yeah, like, it, like sort of a genetic compatibility yeah, thing. They like, had, like yeah. they were both recessive carriers of genes that like would negatively affect a baby or something. Mm -hmm. And they both find out that they're Tay-Sachs mm -hmm. um, carriers. And Tay-Sachs, if you look into it, um, there's certain populations of people who are more prone to being Tay-Sachs carriers, um, including um, Ashkenazi Jews, mm -hmm. um, a community in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. 
And so she looks at her herself and who she thought was her father, and he is neither of these things. And he's a redhead. He's a redhead, like I don't know, very like probably Western European man. Right. Um, and her mother is the same. So she's like, where does this taste axe come from? It's us. So that gets pulled in. Her mother also died in a very tragic accident when she was a young girl. She was adopted by her um, her aunt. Her aunt, mm-hmm. who's a very interesting character, and Jessie. she's fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The plot point, um, you know, what's the problem that the book's looking at is she's trying to figure out she doesn't know who her dad is and who right? her dad is. Yeah. And so she's tracking back her mom's history. Um, to the last place she was before she passed. Which happened to be Chicago. Which happened to be Chicago. Because she was a, a graduate student mm-hmm. at the Oriental Institute. In Egyptology. In Egyptology. And um, apparently a very good one, based on yes. all of the, the comments yes. in the book. Yeah. So she was a very, uh, had a very bright future, but she got in a car accident and passed away um, on her way back from this trip. And as you're reading the book, you find out she was, like, doing things on this trip, um, in relation to the father of Haskell and planning her future and things like that. Yeah, sort of so, revisiting that community yes. of Egyptologists that she had and, been a part of as a student, yeah. which she had left mm-hmm. in order to have to, the baby. Yeah, and, exactly, to have a relationship. And yeah, know. get married and kind of follow a more mm-hmm. stereotypical path, which again brings up this autobiographical aspect of it because it's kind of very similar to what Barbara ended up doing. Exactly. So I kind of did the the fast math. And so this was published in 1987. And so Barbara Mertz writing this would have been around 60 or so, so which is interesting. Looking back, right? Yes. And if you uh, read a little bit about, you know, her path, it does seem that you know, I, and I think I've seen and read interviews where she's even said that she was a graduate student, you know, uh, at the Oriental Institute, and her her advisors were not concerned about worrying about getting her a job uh, because they took it for granted that she would go get married mm-hmm. and start a family. And so it wasn't a uh, a girls club at all. It was all all yeah. boys club. Which in the book as well, that mm-hmm. Leah. Uh, Haskell's mother is the only, well, there's another female, but there's only two of them. So we'll go through some of the main characters. So we talked about Haskell and her mother, Leah. But then once we get into the main plot, once Haskell moves to Chicago, and so she starts exploring, you know, what was her mother doing on that day, trying to get to know. Yeah, because she has this idea. She's going to, she doesn't want to tell people what she's mm-hmm. doing, right? Because these are people who knew her mother. So she decides, oh, I'm going to get a job. Yeah, go undercover. Yeah. yeah. And you know, archaeologists and archives, they're always looking for free labor, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so she feels that she has an in. <laughs> so she goes in and is like, I'm going to apply to be like a registrar assistant, essentially, um, for this collection, a private collection. He's um, Professor Dave Vertheim. Right, so a former fellow student of Leah's. Of her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't tell him this. Right. Initially, um, and is saying, you know, she's offering her services, free labor. She's she has a letter of recommendation. She has a letter of recommendation from her undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants to get more involved. Yeah, and this is a good point. She's about un- undergrad age, right? So like around... Yeah, like she just finished. She just finished, yeah. right? So we're so talking like what? 21, 22. Exactly, yeah. So pretty young. And Dave is in his, I mean, his 40s. age. Yeah, so, so 40s. So about 50s, yeah. roughly 20-some years Could older. Could be her. her father, right? So Oh, looking, yes, there's that aspect she's too. She's looking mm-hmm. at all these people. Mm-hmm. So now she's under the assumption that one of these men 
of her mother's cohort is possibly her father. Mm-hmm. So she's going in there being like, you know, what's your genetic background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so this is this is another plot point <laughs> is that she sort of she she makes the assumption that her mom's not going to have a one night stand yeah. with just anybody, and yeah. that she must have been involved with some of these, these four, fellow graduate students that she you know was yeah. with. Yeah. yeah, one of these is well, and she found like some of her mother's old you know, photo albums and stuff. So and she knows they writing. hung out socially. Yeah, and, and yeah. so she's like, okay, maybe one of these guys is my dad. And so that's always in the back of her mind when she's meeting all these, the rest of the cohort. I think it also speaks a little bit to graduate student culture as well. Like, you know, graduate students, like they're not just together mm-hmm. academically, like in courses or classes or research. Like they, like these are people that you're sort of in the trenches with. Yeah. And so like, entanglements happen. I mean, okay, so we have Dave, so who's a major character throughout. Um, fine, he sees her letter of recommendation. He's like, maybe I have something. She kind of forces him to give her a position. That, and don't you think that like he kind of thought she was cute? Cute, and then he feels some sort of obligation with her being Leah's kid. Yeah, and because he had a crush mm-hmm. on Leah way back All when, because he was known then. as one of the youngest graduate yes. students then, right? Like very young. Like didn't they say like sixteen or something? Like so very yeah, young. Then which he then was makes things later on less weird. It, a little, little less, little less. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she gets a position. Um, he says, "Hold on, I think I have something for you. Like, let me look into it." There's uh, this family, the Nazarians, who mm-hmm. have that are, you know, donors to the museum, a philanthropic, very rich family who have their own private collection that me and yeah. one of the other Which began a couple of generations back, right? Yes. So when Egypt was sort of a place where these colonialists would go yes. and, you know, stuff. you know, yeah, like go to the markets, you know, uh, swipe antiquities up all these antiquities yeah. and take them back for so their pre, own collections. Yeah, 70s. Um, Dave and another Egyptologist, Carl, are working there kind of sorting through the objects, the catalog, it's a, yeah, very messy. We'll, we'll meet the uh, granddad, Nazarian, who's a very eccentric old, older gentleman, um, a bit of a hoarder in a sense. Um, and so they're working there and he's like, maybe we have something for you. You can be unpaid, like, unpaid, of course, mm-hmm. assistant type job. Also, we forgot to mention that she had said fiance who she kind of oh. just is like, Bye, we're done. <laughs> and Boy, up with I, him. I think that tells exactly what we think of uh, of him, right? I that we didn't about even him. we totally forgot that so she ditched him. She just ditches him before she goes to Chicago. Is like I have stuff to do. I need to. Obviously, was not super into the relationship that much, and is finding herself and kind of figuring out her path in life. And yeah, she doesn't want to settle down. And get she has her whole again. idea blown up. Yeah, you know, like, like this. This was my dad, world, and my, now now I don't. Yeah, and like so I can't marry you. But yeah, I think you're right. She wasn't into him. It's also sort of this trope of this guy that she had that she's engaged with is like the perfect guy, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. I think it, it irritates like, her. Like, why ever wouldn't she want to be with him uh-huh. and stuff like this? Yeah. So she gets the job at the Nazarian Institute. Which or the Nazarian family home. Yeah, or whatever, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And their, like, family collection, which is, like, this big old mansion in Southside Chicago, which if you go to uh, Chicago um, near the university today, there's still all these really old mansions from... You know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, beautiful, big mm-hmm. houses. And so picture... And this one has security, security and security guards. Lots of security. When she rolls up, she's like, what's going on here? Well, because they have a museum in the home. Yes. Right? So there's like the all back. sorts of things that they're protecting. And and the old man, Nazarian, he's paranoid. Victor. Yes, Victor. Yes. And Victor's son, Steve, 
was also one of the members of this cohort. Mm -hmm. um, but he had since passed away. Mm -hmm. He was a, an activist protesting Vietnam. There is a relationship to this cohort with her mother. And so Steve basically is a candidate. Candidate as well. So now we have Dave and Steve as possible candidates for, for, for Haskell's her, father. For her parentage. Mm -hmm. Victor's daughter mm -hmm. um, is a little bit more accepting and nice to Haskell and kind of... Very welcoming. Accepts her up. There's also like cottages on the premise where they can stay. Mm -hmm. So she moves out of her hotel. Yes. She gets put up in one of these little cottages in the back. Which is great, right? It gets her on uh, mm -hmm. the property where, where she's working, but also means she doesn't have to pay for a hotel yeah. because she's cashed in and, yeah, she's everything that she has. Yeah. yeah, And she's not getting paid for this work. So. Mm -hmm. so she's all kind of set up in this compound of the Nazarian structure. Um, she meets... This is another graduate student theme. Like, yes. I, I have no money and I am going to sign up for having even less money yeah. <laughs> to do this labor <laughs> for these rich people. Situation. Exactly. Meets Carl. A Carl of the, the mustache. Carl with the stash. Um, <laughs> someone who's more closer to her in age. Um, a, a new a little bit, yeah. PhD Egyptologist, but not of her mother's cohort, you know. Right, a later generation. A later generation. So, like, possible love interest. Possibly. Seems more appropriate for her. Because if you know anything about Barbara's books, mm -hmm. there's always a love interest. There's oh, always of course. And all of them. Elizabeth Peters, <laughs> Michaels. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very true. Uh, we'll get into this, I'm, I'm sure. But as you said, like she kind of has a type. <laughs> yeah. For us who know Amelia Peabody well, and I think a lot of our listeners probably know Amelia Peabody better than other um, Mertz Michaels books. Um, what are your thoughts on Haskell as a female protagonist in comparison to Peabody? Well, I mean, in some ways, broadly speaking, not at all. Because, like, Haskell is this very young, naive, mm -hmm. you know, you know, kid. Child, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and Amelia, when, even when you first meet her, she's already in her 30s, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so she's already a grown-ass woman. Very confident, independent. Confident, independent, knows what's what. Takes and no shit. Exactly. But on the other hand, they do have in common that they need men to get them into the Egyptological inner circles mm -hmm. that they become a part of. Yeah. And Haskell, much more so, I, I think, in some ways than Amelia, which is sort of ironic because Amelia is a 19th century yeah. character. At least she's that's when the series lady, starts. And she, she's wealthy, right? Yeah. So she's got some money to open some doors. Haskell doesn't have anything. She's yeah. got her gender, her, her, her sex going against yeah. her. And she's she got the, her, her lack of money going against and her. And like a letter of recommendation. Exactly. Working exactly. Like, please let me in. And as you said, here she is, like, working on this Nazarian property, like, in the basement, right, with these men she mm -hmm. just met. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, like a lot of what I'm reading in this book, like I'm a mom now, right? Yeah. And I'm like, if I had a daughter, mm -hmm. like, mm -mm. <laughs> like there are red flags everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but this is 1987. <laughs> yeah, so like we'll get into this a little bit later, but like we both after we read it we were like this didn't like age well <laughs> no. like it's not a 2023 book it's very much a 1987 book which is very interesting true. yes um because the whole time i was reading it there were certain points that are supposed to be like ooh, love or sexy or sexy that and I'm you're like, like cringe Ugh. yeah exactly <laughs> like, well and what fascinated and again we could talk more about it it fascinated me a little bit is that she's writing this when she's 60. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so she's got a lot of perspective, uh -huh. you know, at this point, and and this is still how she's presenting it. And so I think it's very much a 
going back to this mindset of being that young 21 22 year old girl perhaps something she experienced i always am looking you know for you know i i find that there's some commonalities within her female protagonist that there must be somehow either what she aspired to be or a little part of herself in these very strong-minded free-willed mm-hmm. female protagonists that i have absolutely. to think is somehow like absolutely her. yeah because um, how else would you keep your interest writing about a character yeah. unless you felt some sort of commonality Kid with her it. yeah and so with like being at Chicago, being in a, you know, very masculine peachy program, Male dominated. I have to think a lot of this was pulled from her own experience. For and sure, so maybe for sure. The question is how much, like you know, this. Yeah. oh yeah, she must have. And I she believe her husband was in the program as well. Uh, yeah, sure. As I said, like graduate students, they become entangled. Yes. So, um, but yeah, so they have, Amelia and Haskell have that in common, that mm-hmm. they needed men to let them in or to help get them into yeah. these inner Egyptological spaces. I think another commonality is like putting yourself in dangerous situations, even yes. when your uh, mind, when good common sense says maybe not to, right? Like It's true. It's true. Although I would trust Amelia's instincts and in trusting Emerson and Walter yeah. more than I would trust Haskell, you yeah. know, with, you know, Dave kind and of just Carl. rushing headlong and, into, like, mm-hmm. situations without maybe thoroughly thinking it Because I want or, this so badly. Yeah. Like, or like, oh... And for Haskell, it's more the personal history that yes. she wants so badly, but she also kind of has this interest, well, yeah. she, you know, like, in Egyptology. Yeah. Egypt stuff and she comes into the situation knowing a little bit about Egyptology, which I think would was necessary for that character yeah. because otherwise, you know, if you don't know, you know, Gardner and yes. you know and some of these throughout. other, yeah, little insider things, yeah. like she's not going to get very far even with Dave. Yeah. 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 Which another kind of commonality with Amelia, like they're both sort of self-educated mm-hmm. when it comes to like their base knowledge of Egyptology. Yeah. Um, they pursue it, mm-hmm. you know, independently and, you know, for themselves. Mm-hmm. So when does the plot kind of start thickening? Stuff gets searched. Yeah. So she's living in the cottage. She comes mm-hmm. home. It's clear that her stuff has been rifled through. She starts to think that she's onto something because someone is definitely either very curious because Nazarian is paranoid. Or or wondering the, what she's doing there. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, this whole thing of like a, a child, you know, coming up that maybe you haven't acknowledged or maybe your current partner doesn't know about. Like someone could be, you know, uh, wanting to keep that in, in the closet. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, so to speak. these rich people, they're thinking mm-hmm. of like money and, and money inheritance, and inheritance yeah. all these things as well. But eventually she comes to the conclusion that this stuff is happening not because Nazarian is paranoid and is trying to check her out or to Mm -hmm. figure out who she is, but that it must have something to do with um, her parentage, parentage, you know, as as you say. Eventually there's a fire um, and her whole bungalow is burned down and this is when Carl saves her. So there's all these like... Yeah. Her mom's notes are burned. Yeah, her mom's notes are all burned. Carl saves her from the fire doing more investigation into who Mm -hmm. her father is. And so we have one more possible um, suspect from the cohort that could serve as a father. Paul Dunlap. Paul Dunlap, who is married to Nazarian's daughter. Yes. And And so he's involved in the the Nazarian museum business. Um, He's like, I guess, the head curator of this family's museum. Well, he's got a great in in the academic community because, as we sort of mentioned, you know, museums and and such, you know, in the past have always catered to wealthy people who have these great, you know, collections. And you sort of 
try to create a relationship with them so if something happens to them that oh hey maybe you will leave this to said museum mm-hmm. and uh, and it will exit a private collection and enter you know a museum collection where scholars can have more and better access to it it can go on public display and that sort of thing and um, I've actually been in these situations I, when I worked at LACMA mm-hmm. A deputy director and I took a trip to a wealthy person's home and I got to sort of see that whole thing, cool. you know, kind of happen, that negotiation between someone, you know, from a museum, you know, with this wealthy person, you know, trying to fill them out. What do you want to do with this? And they're always very protective. Mine, yeah. mine, mine. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this is in part why they're a collector to yeah. begin with. Right. Like owning stuff. <laughs> yes. And so there's definitely that to it. But Paul, having married Nazarian's daughter, hey. Yeah. He's yeah. like director of the little Nazarian Museum yeah. and kind of has the, he's an access point, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But he's also involved in the academic Egyptological yeah. community as publishing papers yeah. and it considers himself to be a, a scholar mm-hmm. uh, in addition to Dave and, and Carl. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, being on that property, on the Nazarian property, Haskell's interacting with him as well. Yeah. Now it's a big deal. Someone really doesn't want her to she figure keeps out. She keeps to having to stay in the house. Yeah. You know, like... Um, moving her into the house. Mrs. Dunlap keeps giving her, you know, hey, mm-hmm. here's, here's my nightgown, here's a place to sleep. You know, it's sort of like... You, you start she, to get the impression she can't get out. It's like a goth, there's a gothic yes. element to this, well, this and, theme, and right? She party and has that one drink that passes mm-hmm. out from, and they're like, oh, you mm-hmm. drank so much, you're a lush. But it was actually that the drink was tainted. In some way, um, for some reason, maybe like to... roofied in a sense. Well, and to also make sure that she's not in the cottage, because yep. that's one of the nights she stays in the yes. house. And so at one point, going back to the, the problem of who's my dad, she's thinking it's Steve. Nazarian who has passed away. Who has passed away because mm-hmm. you know they're Eastern European descent, Nazarian, mm-hmm. I, I believe Armenian name. So and it she's m- matches like, with that genetic. Maybe like the Tay-Sachs, you know, higher mm-hmm. in these Eastern European populations. Also, uh, Paul Dunlap and his wife had a child that had, had Tay-Sachs. So we know it's in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and passed away from it. And passed away. So from Nazarian it. has no grandchild no heir. heir. So she would be technically the heir in this situation. Yeah, should she be revealed yes. as a and Nazarian? I, and the old Nazarian is also thinking on these terms too, and and so well, and is kind of hoping maybe yeah. because that one grandchild that and he, he had her, passed away. He keeps inviting her up to his room. Yeah, despite he's and, him being a creepy old man. Yeah, he he finds her appealing in sassy. some way. Yes, he's very mm-hmm. spicy. All this comes to a head in the final big scene. Where we can, spoiler alert. Yeah, well, because after the fire, like, the jig is up. You yeah. know that someone is is physically endangering yeah. Haskell. Well, Ms. Dunlap sends her down there yes. to sleep because yes, that she can lock, lock her, her in. in. They're going to mm-hmm. lock her in. Again, this access offices. to this museum, it's a private collection, yeah. right? So only certain people have access. And they're going to lock her in there because it's like, for sure, because she can't sleep in the cottage, yeah. right? Because it's burned down. Carl's cottage is no good. He's also living on the property. Um, because that would leave her vulnerable and open, and one cottage has already burned down, so clearly not safe. So it's like, let's lock you in the vault with all of the other Nazarian, you know, treasures. So yes, so she ends up in this, uh, the the museum that's on this Nazarian property. And then what? And then someone comes down into Mm -hmm. the museum to attempt to Uh finish the job. Right. And this is where the candidates for the person causing all the problems start to really narrow because, as we just said, only certain people have access um, to to this museum, particularly at this hour. She runs up the stairs into the museum Mm -hmm. and the perpetrator follows. 
dun dun dun. And this follows with now she runs trying to hide in behind artifacts in the shadows, right? She's trying to like hide from them. Well, but trying he, to find a way out. Yes, yeah. But he and starts to try to negotiate with her and, and Who is he? Yeah, exactly. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Who's spoiler. the evil one? Super spoiler. Paul, Paul. Dunlap. <laughs> this is Paul. Look. He knows that he's her father. Yes. I'm your father and that the reason why he wanted the notes, he was the one who was trying to look through all of Leah's things because Haskell pulls all this together a little bit earlier that Leah's notes revealed that she had been working. She had ideas, right? That she, Paul ended up publishing. Exactly. So and that classic so, trope of the academic who is, you know, sniped someone yes. else's work so and put it off as his own. Paul stole She's conveniently stuff. dead. So yes. no one's going to know. And she was a woman anyway. Yes. So now, like, that could be revealed and ruin his whole career, which I don't even know mm-hmm. if it actually would ruin his career, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, it depends. <laughs> like, it, if it, anyone would even, like, make that big of a deal of it. Um, right. Cause... But at that point, like, she's not necessarily running because, you know, of the, the academic scandal. But He's it's more of, yes. Well, wants... this is what she thinks. Yes. Because she's like, oh, I'm seriously going to complicate things. Yes. Like, his wife is not going to be happy to find out that he's got a child by another woman. Yep. Um, and this is not going to end well. Like, all of the fire, everything else she's thinking, kill it. Took it too far. Yes. And that he needs to now clean this up guy, and get rid of all the messy. Yes. And she is a part of the mess. And yep. she's running through running back and forth, sidestepping. He's trying to get her. Mm-hmm. Have you um, been in mus- museum galleries at night? Or with the lights off, even. Uh, yeah, it's creepy. It is creepy, right? And it's like ghost haunty. Yeah, and feeling. if you yes, if you've you're ever like, been, objects are so charged. Exactly. If yeah. you've ever been in a museum at Anywhere night with the night, lights off, when you're not supposed to. But be especially, like you say, yeah. in a museum, you're surrounded by all of these antiquities. Like, there's a certain atmosphere if yeah. you're sensitive to that kind of thing, and so. You know, again, part of the reason or part of the appeal of this book is that it's such a familiar setting for yeah. for me, and yeah. so I can truly imagine what it would be like, yeah, like, like running throw, through like, a, a pot museum, at him or something. <laughs> yeah, or you know, hiding behind the vitrines, yeah. or she's yeah. actually looking at the antiquities as you know, can I use one of these yeah. as a weapon? And she's you trying know? to like get out the doors and they're locked. The mm-hmm. like side office is locked. And he's pursuing her, trying to talk her down. I'm not going to hurt you, yeah, you know, which of course we know is the exact you know, thing that you would say if you yeah. wanted to hurt her. <laughs> That's what the murderer would say. And then what happens? Paul's wife shows up. Yeah. The twist. There's always, there's like two twists in this book. Because at first mm-hmm. they, it has you thinking that it was Steve as the dad. It's true. And you have the like, dad they're twist. They're trying to get rid of her because they don't want her to be the heir mm-hmm. and inheritance issues. And then you're like, okay, now it's Paul. And mm-hmm. you think, okay, this is the twist. And then you get... The double twist. Yeah, yeah. Which is now... Um, well, because if you change who you suspect the father to be, you change the motive of the potential killer. Yes. And so, yeah, it's very... And then she starts putting together, like, oh, who's the one who drugged my tea or whatever and wants me, wanted me to stay in the house? Mrs. Catherine Dunlap shows up in the museum with a gun. And Haskell brought a mace to a gunfight. <laughs> she grabs one of the antiquities. Yes. <laughs> one of the, the, would it be like a, a early dynastic or pre-dynastic mace yeah, and is thinking this is how she's going to defend herself. But, you know, mace versus gun. Yes. And so Paul Dunlap tries to talk his wife down uh, because apparently he has been unaware all of these years that even though he's strayed from their marriage multiple times, including his relationship with Leah, Mm -hmm. um, that his wife has been aware the whole time and Mm -hmm. has just simply pretended that 
uh, everything is okay, that her husband is faithful and has never had relationships with, uh, with other women or fathered children outside of their marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know what made him happy and jealousy and, and everything else mixed in on uh, on the part of Mrs. Dunlap. But Paul apparently has been completely unaware this whole time that his wife actually had a brain and eyes and could see mm-hmm. uh, what was going on. And again, like, even though it's a trope, you know, not um, an unrealistic one, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Like mm-hmm. I said, very cringe, you know, this kind of idea of a a wife who would, you know, live that way. So in summary, they lock her down in the basement for her safety. Um, someone try is trying to break in. She runs away from them. This all comes into the head as like the main boss battle here. She's in the museum running around, hiding from them. It's revealed that Paul is her father. And, and it is chasing her, trying, trying to talk to her down. Trying to rationalize with her in some sense. She thinks he's also at fault for the fire and her mother's death and all this stuff. But turns out, dun dun dun, twist. It was actually Catherine. Paul's wife. Paul's wife. Mrs. Dunlap. Mrs. Dunlap, who was behind all of this because she knew from the get-go that Paul was unfaithful. Um, Partially the whole issue that she, you know, Mr. Older Senior Nazarian, all he wanted was a kid, a grandchild, heir. His son dies. She's the only one left to give him an heir, and she can't. Um, and to find out that Paul fathered a kid with someone else that would then now take, that would be the heir of this estate. Perhaps. Yeah, so she brings a gun down into she that museum. She's going to clean it up. Yeah, yeah she's going to take gonna care of, of all this. Haskell and the whole family issue, and yeah. also the potential issue that Paul Dunlap might be disgraced yes, in, in academia because he's clearly. Stolen all the Stolen everything. Ideas. Yeah. She hits Paul over the head. There's now a scuffle. Fires at Paul at one point. Paul goes down. He gets um, shot. He gets shot. Um, more and scuffling. Then, and then Dave shows up, the hero of the day. And then Haskell passes out. About the ending ending. So she's asleep for a while. She's in Dave's house. She comes out. And, and she's got Dave, her ex-fiance, yeah, all, and Carl and shows Carl up. Is there too. <laughs> all the guys, all chilling, sitting in the room, like, "Oh, you know, you're you're alive." And then she starts kind of recounting her memories because everyone had sort of put it together independently, right? Yeah. No one had had commiserated and talked and and said, "Hey, I know this part, and you know this part." Like uh, the ex-fiance and Carl leave, so it's just her and Dave now. In, in Dave's apartment. In Dave's apartment. And Her wearing asks, Dave's shirt. Yes, well, you forget to mention, though, too, he's, he's all, like, trying to, like, resist. Yes. It's more like, no, we should not. Yes. Dave knows that there's, like, 20-some years difference between them. And Haskell has decided that among the heroes that, you know. Any Michaels, Mertz, uh, Peter's book, there's always a little bit of romance with a man who is... Tall, dark, and handsome. Tall, dark, and handsome, but also a little, like, curmudgeon-y, uh-huh. sassy. It must yeah. be, that must be her type. Irritable. Um, irritable, yeah, a little, like, But grumpy. secretly a softy underneath. Yes, exactly. In particular for, for one woman. For her. Which, I'm not going to lie, is also kind of my type. <laughs> um, so I usually am really into, like, like Emerson I friggin' love. Yes, but he also has many, many books to develop his yes. character. And, and so, like Dave has the disadvantage of being a one-off wonder here. Long story short, her and Dave are the ones who get together. And which I... One, and Haskell chooses him. Yes. One, I didn't really 
feel that throughout the rest of the book. No, because he's absent for a lot yeah. of, she spends all of her time with Carl and, and so, John, her ex-fiance. Carl and her end up kissing once, but it's kind of just like, oh, like. Yeah, and Carl eh. ends up kind of half apologizing. Yeah, it's like a, eh, oh, this, like, we're Which not into this. Another 2023 cringe factor, like, if you're in this work situation yeah, and your coworker kiss just your kisses you, kisses you, this would not go over well today. And so she ends up with Dave, which again, as we mentioned before, around her mother's age, possibly. He's and, like in his 40s. At least. And she's in her early, early 20s. 20s. Professor at an institute and she's Which she, unpaid labor. And she's uh, going to apply to the Oriental yes. Institute because she has this interest in Egyptology. There's so, a bit at the end of the very book. kind of like unethical, morally dubious, but like maybe cool in the 80s. <laughs> Which like, yes. Well, it's, it's one of those things that we have now taught ourselves to recognize that, you know, even though these are grown, consenting adults that the you know, professional power dynamic is a complication that, as you say, is maybe unethical. Well, and what creeps me out is like once she comes out, she's like sitting on his lap and they're like kind of talking about their interest in each other. And and um, he keeps calling her kid. Yes, I know. He's like, don't get carried Hun, away, kid. Kid. And I'm like, ew. Mm-hmm, like that's mm-hmm. one really like... It happens early on in the book yes. too. Earlier on also not cool because like she's not a kid if there's no sex interest then like okay maybe it's like a fatherly type of thing like mm-hmm. kid or giving you a hard time because yeah. you're younger yeah exactly but now he's calling it while she's like about to kiss him mm-hmm. which is to me creepy mm-hmm. and then she does so... a nice little peabodyism why don't you give up and grow a beard <laughs> so clearly again npm likes a nice beard because from the Peabody books we know Emerson looks weird without a beard. Although Amelia, li- Amelia likes it when he shaves. Yes, because he gives his little the dimple. dimple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that whole and that so, whole dynamic there, like again, I it get ends it. ends with them kind of getting together. So what do we so think we of, assume. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that Dave's going to get title nine. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so what do we... Of the romances in MPM's books, not my favorite. No, no. Well, and as you say... I just don't say, know why it has to be there. It wasn't, like, evident from the start. Right, but again, we, we have to... Exactly. She's literally <laughs> looking for a daddy, and she ends up on this guy's lap. Yeah. 20 years her senior. But, it's like, um, daddy issues much? Yes. But I, I think we just have to kind of keep in mind 1987... Um, and the time at which it was written. Right. And also, as you say, if Barbara Mertz is writing somewhat from her own experience, this is going to also kind of like tilt the narrative, you know, in a, in a certain way. And so we also have to remember that when she was actually at the Oriental Institute, it was decades before Haskell would have been. And so in a way, some of these academic dynamics are even more entrenched when Barbara Mertz is there versus when she places her character there later on in the late 80s. Um, so yeah, I just have to chalk it up to the you know the time in which it was written. But yeah, the way it comes off now, I have to say, when I read it back in high school, I was very curious. I was trying to learn about academia and just mm-hmm. like how people existed within this space. Yeah. And so I was very interested, but reading it now, like older and as a mom, I just have many cringy responses to yeah. it. Yeah. Usually I pick up on those like kind of little hints throughout the book, but I didn't really get 
that much from it. So to me, it was like it felt. Oh, a little, you mean sort like, of like the little foreshadowing yeah, of there's it, something it going like on with like Dave? Forced or like out of the blue for me when it kind of like I kind of saw it coming. I agree that there was much more of that in it didn't feel uh, as... in this book. Yeah. Um, Turning no. to some museum and Egyptologically related thematic things, right? So the book has a lot of good uh, use Chicago and obviously the museum formerly known as the Oriental Institute, now ISAC. What do we think about MPM choosing a setting so familiar to her? Did we think that really helped with the world building and the environment? Do we feel like we knew it? I personally, like when she was talking about like going up the steps to like the offices, like having been there, like I knew exactly what she was talking about. And so it felt very like comfortable for me. Obviously the Mazarian Institute Foundation was totally fabricated, but of something that could be real. Yeah, if you've um, been in, in situations like that, yeah, it was that I think the Nazarian estate was the most evocative mm -hmm. you know, environment. And actually for, you know, all the mention of the Oriental Institute in, in the book, most of the action takes place at the Nazarian yes. place, yeah. um, which I found interesting because it's like she wanted the OI to sort of be a, a character, a location, mm -hmm. you know, in this book and yet also wanted to have a little bit of distance, you know, so all of this stuff is happening. In a fabricated place. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that that's what she does is she she writes uh, from from things that, that she has experience with. Although I will say, like, like you said, some of her other books like are much more, uh, the atmosphere is cast in a much mm -hmm. better way. Yeah. You know, the point is valid that the interest in picking up this book was more like, are you kind of interested in Egyptology yeah. and this sort of world and the people? Uh, and, as and a profession. Exactly. As a profession and people who sort of interact with each other. That to me was um, some of the most familiar things. Um, another question I have is obviously the novel touches on the issue of the art market, these like private collections, personal collections. Do we feel that the depiction of this is accurate within the novel? Trope of the old man retreating into his like hoarded riches is obviously definitely there. Yeah, but I would say it could be, again, because I've been in these situations, mm -hmm. like it could be male, female. But I've yeah, if you've kind of got. Seen a private collection. So it's uh, interesting, but they obviously exist. I have, yeah. I've had, I've had a, a few different opportunities too. And yeah, it could be male, female, whatever. If you've got the money, as they say, you know, like if you're poor, you're crazy. But if you've got money, you're eccentric, yeah. you know, and you've got all these weird behaviors. You can get museums, curators, professors, whoever wants access to your collection to jump through all these sort of like hop on one foot, mm -hmm. you know, like they will they will do this in order to get access or to develop a relationship in order to hopefully you know one day acquire the collection or at least maintain you know access to it you know within this book you know Dave and Carl have definite ideas that if the Oriental Institute acquires this Nazarian collection that they will be heavily involved mm -hmm. in it and they very much want to research it and know what's what's involved and so it can help their careers. Yeah. And so this is a moral dilemma that mm -hmm. scholars sometimes are put in if, you know, sometimes I think most of us are against personal acquisition of antiquities and the antiquities trade. Yes. Um, However, there's so many private collections yes. exist and you have exactly. to deal with that reality. And so like yeah. sometimes private collections have these like super choice pieces that are amazing mm -hmm. and it's like do you engage with them even though it's in this kind of more Because publishing a piece could help legitimize it. Yes and then kind of fuel the antiquities trade mm -hmm. or you're giving credence to this private collection mm -hmm. that maybe has dubious provenance. You publish it, it also increases the value. Illegal or, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. You're, you're, a lot of times, you know, people will ask us to like 
authenticate things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can you give more information? And a lot of scholars refuse to do these things because mm -hmm. it's you're adding value. These days, especially, yeah, yeah. it's or it's like, become give much a value more common. On things. Yeah, and so the idea of you know being involved with these private collections is like a very gray zone. But also think, Jordan, if we say go back and every antiquity that ever came out of Egypt that entered a private collection and scholars take that out of the yeah. publications, don't interact yeah. with it, don't study it. What do we have of Egyptology left? Yeah. You know what I'm uh -huh. saying? Like the, well, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, so there is a little kind of gray zone of like how to interact with it, treat it in a scholarly sense, but not somehow add fuel or okay the practice. And, mm -hmm. and so um, that's obviously a very fine line. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of... Um, well, and you know. the Nazarian collection, you know, in this book, uh, the basement's a mess, yeah. right? Things yeah. are moldering, you know, down there, and it's so also like, at least I'm helping. It, yeah, it's no. it's a matter of well, should we at least attempt to save them or mm -hmm. put them into more museum type uh, environments in which these antiquities could actually maybe be preserved and like seen and, by the masses and studied and, like this, and yeah. <laughs> these days eventually re. Patriated in the early 2000s or later yeah. 2000s. Um, yeah, we're going to like make this book more common. The right. The Nazarian collection actually would have Gets been given back to Egypt. Yes. And there would be no, <laughs> there would be no story. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, and, and this just goes into like this, this dance that museums are having to do with their colonial pasts, mm -hmm. you know, that even today, like it's going to be decades and decades for them to, yeah. you know, resolve this because... I think it, we're kind of pointing out here is that there's really no great solution. You're yeah. just trying to walk a line and to not make the situation uh, worse. Yeah. It yeah. goes from sort of a lip service, okay, we acknowledge this, to okay, there is, there's some movement, there's some action happening. Yeah. Not enough, so but the book some. Is, the book is dated not only in its perspective on romance, but mm -hmm. I think also on proper object, mm -hmm. antiquities trade and um, things like this. We don't really get a lot of discussion of... Yeah. Yeah, no, it's clear that, that Dave and Carl's priority is like they're just the like, they're like viewing with hungry eyes yes. this collection that mm -hmm. they just want to dig they're into. They're not like, oh, this is a private collection that people shouldn't have and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's more this like, is, okay, this guy's got a lot of money and he's yeah. got it and we want it and how do we get access and, like, to let's it? let's now like kiss mm -hmm. his feet and hopefully he leaves it to us in his will because <laughs> mm -hmm. he's old and dying. So, yeah, I have to say I, I enjoyed this less, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. reading it mm -hmm. uh, now. As before, which the twist is, is good. It's still interesting. A good, you know, MPM twist. Yeah, some books has, you can come back to, yeah. and you can have the same experience. And others, age, age well. yeah, you as a person, like you come back as a completely different person yeah. and read the same up, book, and you can have now you're a mom, and like yeah, you said, like you're coming from it with a different perspective, completely different. Yeah, I sympathize most with Jesse in this whole yeah. thing. Well, so that's my like, last <laughs> question. We'll end on like a fun question: of the characters, major or minor, who would you want to like hang out with, get a drink? I think Jesse. You think Jesse? I would say Jesse, or I think because I love old ladies. I think their grandmas would oh, be really gosh. fun. Oh, gosh. Because they're just like. Jordan, I've been in that I know. house well, with the old like, ladies, and like I'm not. <laughs> exactly. I'm but like, like food, no, Jordan, like, no. They feed you. I just love old people because I think they're the cutest, like, sassy old For an people. hour or two at a time. <laughs> when she figured out the ones, like, secretly drinking upstairs, yeah. like, that's. And like, smoking. Yeah, that's, I want to hang out with that one. <laughs> Jesse would be fun, too. She seems like a very independent, strong woman. Yeah, who 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 stepped up, you know, for yeah. for her sister yeah. and Dr. and took care of her niece.
Well, this was fun. Um, Are we going to do another one? Non-Emily Poulani? I'm, yeah, I'm sure we're going to be um, Agatha Christie. Oh, on Death the on the Nile. And we will get Kara to read another Emily Poulani. Yes, we thank you all for listening. Amber, I'll let you take us out. This is Afterlives of Ancient Egypt. Book club. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you to our listeners for your support, and please subscribe. It's a big deal with all the platforms, so subscribe. If you enjoyed the show, share it with all your friends, and most importantly, leave us a five-star review. It really helps with all those aforementioned platforms. Send all those ancient world questions and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. We read them all. You can find info on all my books, articles, and upcoming lectures on my website. Just head to karakuniegyptologist.com. Amber puts all that together. Oh my God, thank you, Amber. Join our vibrant and subversive online community at patreon.com slash afterlives and get access to our private Discord server where Jordan and I can connect with our listeners far, far away from all those toxic social media spaces. And do not forget to check out our Substack Ancient Now at ancientnow.substack.com where we share perspectives on all that history and archaeology news every week and continue the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off. You can find me on Facebook at Kara Cooney Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Kara Cooney. Thanks to the team at Patina Productions for this podcast, which I must point out is wholly separate from my academic work at UCLA. See you next time on Afterlives of Ancient Egypt.